This is a presentation of Patterson Media. Amplify Port Alberta. Amplify Nanaimo. Amplify Vancouver. Amplify Calgary. Amplify Edmonton. Amplify the Battlefords. Amplify Prince Albert and area. Amplify Winnipeg. Amplify. Amplify. Amplify Canada is an initiative created by Pattison Media, designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our economy. Thousands of small businesses, groups, family organizations, and individuals are showcased on Pattison Media radio stations from Winnipeg to Vancouver throughout the year. Every month, we go deeper and share the incredible journey of a few that have made an impact on their community. Some have flourished, others may need a little extra love and support. These are their stories. Welcome to Amplify Canada. On this week's episode, we delve into the success and struggles of Indigenous businesses. Stories of mothers and daughters, families, and ideas that changed lives. But we would be remiss if we didn't start with reflection. Our land, our skies, our kids, our lives. Land grab, bloodbath, hunger, warpath. White years, children stolen. Amen. The history Canadians don't like to tell is that Canada's nation building has come at the expense of its Indigenous peoples and on top of Indigenous territories. Indigenous peoples' place in the national narrative of the birth of Canada has been minimized and viewed as peripheral to the dominant culture's stories. Slowly, painfully, change and accountability are being discussed, opening doors for healing along the way. Understanding that I'm a second generation residential school survivor, I grew up without a mother for many, many years. Naomi Nicholson runs two guest houses, rich in Indigenous culture, to provide education and healing. My husband is a residential school survivor. So when the news hit with the 215 found, we were in mourning. Nyana's daughter Shannon owns the Pepper Tree, a salon and spa with a heart of gold, welcoming to all. My mushroom is a survivor of residential school and my mother is a survivor of the 60s scoop so is my father so I, I know all the trauma that comes with this justin Atoyu created a clothing company called kiam which means truly at peace with yourself and your surroundings stories of strength courage determination understanding perseverance kindness and love this country is built on small businesses let's listen to the stories of Indigenous ingenuity. Our land, our skies, our kids, our so much is told through music. We will hear Eden Fine Day's music throughout. She is a Cree singer-songwriter from the Sweetgrass First Nation in Saskatchewan. She'll share her rich musical heritage and inspiration for the song, White Tears at the end of our podcast. We hit half a million for an independent brand. That's a lot of hoodies. That's a lot of t-shirts. That's Craig Stevens of Wolfpack Apparel in New Westminster, British Columbia. 
Coming up later, Craig's story of how he was inspired to start his company to spend more quality time with his children. Prince George is the largest city in the northern part of British Columbia. It sits at the junction of the Nechaco and Fraser Rivers and was founded on the traditional territory of Clately Tenane. The story begins in the Coast Hotel, where you will find the Pepper Tree, a local salon and spa based on one ethos. When you feel good inside, you'll look good outside. For the past 14 years, the Pepper Tree has been First Nations owned and operated by a mother-daughter duo. Shannon started working with me back when she was in grade one, folding towels for me in my salon, doing her homework. And back then it was a little easier because she got paid in cheeseburgers. <laughs> and then when she turned 14, she started shampooing, answering the phone and helping me after school and on weekends. And I loved it. We have a really good connection. We're really close. She went and did her hairdressing, her barbering, her aesthetics. And every summer she would come back and work for me. That was awesome. So we'd live together. We work together. We'd go for walks in the evening together. (laughs) So one thing I want to also share is when I had come into the salon working with my mom at the age of 14, her first rule actually was no gossip. You're going to hear lots of things. I don't want you to repeat them. I think she actually told me I would be fired if I did. (laughs) Yeah, I did. But then her second rule was everybody gets treated equally. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who they are, what walk of life they come from. For me growing up and learning in the the industry and, and in the business, I think that was a big foundation for where Pepper Tree is now. And from that learning, what ways do you now help others? We're always finding ways of giving back. We had heard that somebody was going to India and that they needed flip-flops. And so we thought, what a cool idea where we can have all of our First Nations flip-flops, hundreds of them in India. And so we had sent them off to India. So that was one of the things that we had did. And there's quite a few others. One of my clients was battling cancer. And thank God she survived but she's in the shop with me. This is just something that we did. I would bring in products for her, no charge, to help with her scalp condition. And then when I retired, my client, then her daughter actually, was battling cancer here. And she had reached out to Shannon and they had come in and I did mom's hair and Shannon did her daughter's hair. Now, this is gonna get me emotional. There I was with her when she had struggled through this and there Shannon is for her daughter as her daughter's going through this. And her daughter was a new mom battling cancer. Thankfully, she's doing okay. But I'm hugging mom, consoling mom while Shannon's doing her daughter's hair. I had goosebumps all over my body as you were telling that story. That's just an incredible life story and full circle, but what an awful way to come full circle, but a beautiful way to come full circle too, because they've had you. Has it been any more difficult for you running a business as Indigenous in your community? Do you feel that you've had more hardships that way? I think it's something important for all of us to understand your perspective on that. We definitely had our challenges because being Indigenous being female, Indigenous on top of it as well. It actually had taken me one year for the hotel to sign the lease over to us. 
I was actually scheduled to purchase the business in 2006. My former bosses, the former owners, we were actually in the middle of our purchase agreement. We had everything all set to go. The documents were signed. I had the check on hand. And the general manager at that time, we had never met him before. He came into the meeting and he comes right up to me, a finger and everything. And he says, there are so many people that would love to be here. I don't know why you think you are going to be in here of all people. I don't think you can afford it. Plus, you're a woman. And he turns around and walks out. We were just flabbergasted. This was in a day and time within our area that there was a lot of racism. Lots of comments about us as Indigenous people. If this happened now, it would be different. But back then, though, putting that into the context of time as well. Wrong is wrong, no matter which way you dice it. That general manager, he caused chaos and disruption amongst the whole hotel. So the hotel fired him. At the age of 16, Nyana's husband went to see the hotel when it was being built and recalls a sign, no Indians or blue jeans after eight. Fifty years later, he's proud that his daughter was the first Indigenous person to have a business in the hotel and tells this story to everyone he meets. That is reality. Then also, my husband is a residential school survivor. So Shannon's second generation residential school. And so when the news hit with the 215 found, we had heard this all along, but it was for us, we were just in mourning and we just knew we had to do something about it. And that's when we had decided that we would do the orange shirts and design the logo. We knew we wanted to do something. So let's make orange shirts. Let's design these orange shirts and we will donate all the proceeds to Orange Shirt Society. So we use Every Child Matters. On the bottom of the shirts, it says compassion, heart, empathy, love equals change. So what we've always said as a family, it's more than head knowledge. It's more than just textbook reading or knowing Mm -hmm. in your mind. It's a heart knowledge too. And when those collide, that's when change happens. We had them made up and it just surpassed any expectation that we even imagined within our community, but even within our nation. We had people reaching out to us from all over Canada, huge corporations reaching out to us. It was just incredible and it was so healing in many ways. Knowing the history of our journey of systemic racism and that we heal through that already. But it was really neat to see in a place that there was damage, all of a sudden these orange shirts are just being blasted out of. And in a community that's just, you know, seeing the sea of orange, it just touched and warmed our hearts. It just helped level out that roughness of mourning that we were going through. And it was just so uplifting. They raised over $13,000. 
Sturgeon Lake First Nation sits 55 kilometers northwest of Prince Albert in northern Saskatchewan. The Sturgeon Lake First Nation entered into treaty with the Crown in 1876, signing Treaty 6 at Fort Carleton. Under Treaty 6, the Cree and Solto peoples of Northern Prairies agreed to share the territory as long as the sun shines, the rivers flow, and the grass grows. It's where our next story finds its home. Justin Atoyu created a clothing company called Kiam, the fulfillment of a 20-year-old dream. I've always had the passion for trying to make a sweater or make something, but I had no idea what I was going to make. And I started at a very young age. I think I was 13 when I made my first sweater. I got my first sweater made. And I just always wanted to make something since then, but I've never had the time because I've always had a job. But I'm so glad that everything worked out and I get to do what I actually love. I started during the pandemic. I had to take time off of work because of COVID. My son's high risk, so I, I had to take a leave. So with that free time, I started making sweaters. And I started off with 12 sweaters in my basement. And from there, I just started making more. I got more orders from all over. I was really surprised of how many people actually wanted my sweaters. <laughs> Uh, I got a lot of help from my reserve, Sturgeon Lake First Nation. I had lots of support from my community, and I'm very grateful for all of that. Justin, the company name, what does Kiam mean? Kiam is an old word. It's a Cree word. It means you're truly at peace with yourself and your surroundings. More or less, it's like akumanatara. Just let things go. Don't let stuff hold you back like that. That's what everybody needs. They need to uh, stop hanging on to negative stuff and moving forward. I've dealt a lot with that kind of stuff growing up. I've been to a lot of schools where I was the only brown kid and I had to learn that way. So I try not let that stuff bug me. People are opening up. I have people talk to me and they ask what Kiam is all the time because I set up at little uh, trade fairs and anything that I can go and do eh, just to be in public. How has starting your own business reconnected you with your First Nation? It's a very, very joyful uh, experience for me because... Growing up, I was off the reserve. I didn't get to connect with my language. I had to go to a city school and then I lost my language and they're trying to teach me French and I couldn't do it at either. Now that uh, I'm old enough to do this on my own, I can actually go to these ceremonies, go to sweats and all this stuff, powwows. I can actually do it without having anything hold me back. And that's something I'll probably be teaching my kids as well. Just want to grow my company. I just want to keep on doing what I'm doing. I like sending out a good message for everybody. I'm planning on making more t-shirts that have more Cree sayings so people can reconnect with the language as well. Can you sense a turnaround? I can sense a turnaround, but it's going to take time. People need to learn and open up more. But there will be a turnaround. It's coming. Let's pause the stories there for a moment and take time to get a true understanding of the importance of small business in the Canadian economy. It's an engine that runs and supports so many people from coast to coast. As of December 2019, the Canadian economy totaled 1.23 million employer businesses. Of these, 1.2 million, or 97.9%, were small businesses. Carol Ann Hilton, international Indigenous business leader, advisor, facilitator, and author, addresses the struggles that are faced by Indigenous business owners. 
I think it's primarily the capitalization of the indigenous economy, aligning political will to economic growth. There needs to be the space for indigenous economic design and supporting the investment, the structures, the tools, the leadership of indigenous growth. When we understand that indigenous businesses are growing at five to six times the rate of the national average, it becomes significant to understand that our people are seeing business as a tool out of the experience of poverty or lack of access to jobs. And to also understand that the indigenous population is the fastest growing, that when we see the number of youth within the overall indigenous population, young people are seeing business as a tool in a much different way generationally. And I think that's what we're seeing is young people seeing the opportunity of business, seeing pathways into their own future and the realization of education, training and accessibility to opportunities are essential. So what would you say is the biggest concern for Indigenous economic recovery? The tourism industry overall has probably taken one of the biggest hits and seeing that reflected as a subsector of the larger industry, the voice of Indigenous tourism has always been around bringing supports in terms of visibility of Indigenous businesses and doing things differently. And that seems to resonate in that larger mainstream narrative around what is our responses now locally? What is our responses in terms of a sectoral response, a fiscal response, investment structures, relationships, networks? All of that is on the table to be able to create an appropriate and immediate response as an ongoing response within this pandemic. Let's go to the root and talk about how can community, what steps can community do to support Indigenous businesses? There's groups that have started last year. There was a Shop First Nations network that was created to bring visibility of Indigenous entrepreneurs and their companies. There was a First Nations woman artist group that had 45,000 members within a couple months of setting it up, where really the response was how to increase the visibility and accessibility to Indigenous businesses. We see groups like the Indigenous Mall concept, where creating digital platforms for Indigenous businesses businesses and the supporting structures for that are representative of how fast paced and rapidly changing this world is and realizing essentially that the steps to support the structures, the steps to support the investment and the visibility of Indigenous business from the community level is essential. We travel back to Alberta to learn the story of bannock, a type of fried bread originating from Scotland and eventually adopted by the Indigenous peoples of Canada, particularly the Métis of Western Canada. It was usually prepared as a large biscuit that could be broken up or wrapped around a stick. Bannock is the foundation for Teepee Treats, an Edmonton-based business run by Curtis Cardinal. The business started in 2018, but I could go back to when I was a child. When I was growing up, my parents separated. My mom taught me how to cook. I was like six years old. Cooked the breakfast for the first time. 
she loved it. I mean, it wasn't anything special, just like eggs and sausages. But So how did you decide on bannock? I had made bannock at home and I learned at a young age how to make it. In 2010, I was like, okay, well, I want to try selling it because a lot of my friends and relatives said it was really good. So I go to powwows in the summer and make some extra money. And in 2010, I was at a powwow selling the bannock in this teepee. While I was in this teepee, I was thinking of names, writing down. I, you know, I wanted it to be something that had to give our people hope and strength. So I named it Teepee Treats because it's a symbol of our survival. It's a symbol of how we grew up in these teepees. We prayed and we cooked and through the winter, it gave us strength to uh, survive. It basically kept us alive. So that's where the name came to be. In 2015, Curtis began taking on the odd catering gig, which over time became the focus of his business. But COVID took its toll and business slowly slipped away. When COVID hit, we just kind of lost a lot of our catering jobs. I had to dip into my savings and I had to like try to figure out ways on how to get my food out there to masses of people. So I just had an idea and I met with one of my mentors and he said, let's do takeout and delivery out of his church because he was a pastor there. So I rented the kitchen and that's when it started in March of 2020. So a lot of people in Edmonton have ordered our food. And it's not just Indigenous people. It's all different cultures, all different races. And we're still gaining popularity. I try to teach my daughter. Like she likes to cook and I'm teaching her how to make breakfast. And she loves to help me whenever she can it's a good skill to have you have to learn how to cook and i'm just grateful that i have this gift to have a business like this to bring people comfort food because that's basically what it is is comfort food and it takes people back to a time where it was a struggle but our people got through it and now we're trying to uh, venture into new things At the head of Vancouver Island's longest inlet is a deep port city which lies within the Alberni Valley. With a population just over 17,000, Port Alberni has been designated as the salmon capital of the world. It is also home to beautiful Indigenous-themed guest houses on Shushot First Nation. This is where we meet Naomi Nicholson, an entrepreneur since the age of 19. Understanding that I'm a second generation residential school survivor, I grew up without a mother for many, many years. I do have a lady who has been my mom for 21 years. I just wanted to share that I wouldn't be here if I still had grown up on the reserve. I had three car accidents when I was younger and they weren't my fault and I needed to get a job at 19. So I started secluded fitness center and it was a private gym for people who had either been in car accidents or didn't like to be watched when they worked out and I ran that business for six years and I took the community future self-employment program and I was the first indigenous person to get on the self-employment program. Naomi, wellness has always been at the heart of your entrepreneur spirit, and now you've actually built a space for your wellness business. We built the commercial building four years ago, and even though I've retired from holistic health consulting and the shiatsu massage, 
I was actually voted the most favorite massage provider in Portal Bernie three years in a row before COVID happened. I teach workshops and I'm a first host facilitator. It's a customer service tourism based program focusing on Indigenous culture. And in part of the workshop, it talks about indigenizing your space, putting artwork on the wall and, you know, naming it an Indigenous name and ideally one that people can pronounce. And the more I talked about it, the more I was saying, why isn't someone creating an Indigenous lodging experience? And we talk in our culture about stories we talk lots about law of attraction and stories. And the more you talk about something, bring attention to it, the more the universe, God, source, nos, creator, whatever language above and beyond higher power you want to say, it will come to you. You've built two guest houses on your property and you did this so that people can stay and learn. What was your motivation? Some of these stories that we get taught are, they're very powerful So in the end, I'm like, well, if nobody's doing this, why don't we do this? So we decided to go the commercial route and open up a bed and breakfast. So we ran Chim's guest house and Chim's means bear in New Channel. And we have bears that walk behind our house. There's a bear den just across the street from us and we catch the guys on video they're quite beautiful so we've actually had guests from germany see a bear on our property and that seriously they told us was a highlight of their whole trip has business been hard for you people look at me and my success and they're like oh well you're native you got everything oh no 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 you have no idea what i've been through Back then, it was very horrible to be identified Indigenous person because people treat you very differently when they realize that you may be the stereotype that they believe. Most people, when they meet me, they have no idea I'm Indigenous. They come to our property. They're like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. You guys have done great. And some people don't even know that they're on the reserve. And that's in part because of how I grew up. Indigenous culture really struggles with the non-Indigenous culture. There's a lot of clashing in that sense. So it's hard to change your bias and thoughts about First Nation people when you don't see myself and my husband getting up at six in the morning and working really hard before we start our day jobs and finishing our day jobs and coming back out and working again for another few hours. You know, you don't see that. And if you do... Because my husband and I have fit into society, and what I mean is we're not out panhandling in front of our house or perpetuating the stereotype, people don't see us as Indigenous. In the town of Port Burney is Chim's guest house, rich in Indigenous culture and a place that allows for one to learn, reflect, and grow. I would say that if you want to come and stay at Chim's guest house, if you ever wanted to know more, learn more, feel the energy of our property, because so many people say that it's very powerful here. And I know the Sashat ancestors are here with Ed and I, and they want us to succeed. 
when you come and stay at Chin's guest house and hopefully COVID will be in a better position because we were offering Indigenous experiences where we provided an in-house seafood dinner, all locally sourced. We've had Indigenous paint nights. We had beadwork workshops with your own private instructor. So we're changing the game on Indigenous tourism and you just wait because when we finally have the opportunity to truly be open to our capability, we will be the all-inclusive place that people are going to want to come, whether it be for healing, just to check it out, or to want to learn about our community. So we're making history. Just shy of 900 kilometers north of Port Alberni, we land in Prince Rupert. It is a gateway to wilderness areas and home to a grizzly sanctuary, and humpback whales swim in waters offshore. It is where Craig Stevens was born. My name is Craig Stevens. I am from the Nishka Nation, which is located in northern British Columbia, up near the Terrace Prince Rupert area. I was born in Prince Rupert, but I spent a lot of time on my home reserves, which is Lako Zap. And I'm the proud owner of Wolfpack Apparel, Indigenous clothing company based out of New Westminster here. I've owned the company for 13 years. It actually correlates with my sobriety. I've been clean and sober 13 years. And before you started Wolfpack Apparel, you were an accountant? I graduated high school and I moved from Prince Rupert down here. Uh, I went to Kwantlen and I went for my accounting diploma and then I transferred that over to the CGA program. I've always been good with numbers. So the accounting and finance thing developed my professional career, but I was always a people person. I always loved being around people. I always loved talking with people. I always loved sharing ideas and thoughts with people. But I never really focused on sharing creativity with people. I grew up with all my cousins and all my aunts and all my uncles. Everybody was around culture. Everybody created artwork. It was just part of my upbringing. It was always around me. But I never thought that I would take a career in it. Just because it seemed like that stability of being an accountant was more beneficial rather than the instability of being an artist. Craig's parents divorced when he was young, which had a dramatic effect on him and his brother. Throughout his life, he described having a little conscious space, always saying, when you do have a family, be there, be present and be part of it as much as you can. It was that promise, that voice, that eventually birthed Woolpack Apparel. My youngest son, Justin, when he was born, I know it sounds cliche, every parent says it, when you have kids, they just change your life. In the accounting world, I was working the nine to five, and then I had to leave early for commute. And as I was getting promoted, I had more responsibilities and time, like board meetings, community meetings. So I was being pulled away a lot from my role as a father. And my oldest son at the time, he was going through all these milestones in daycare. Like he said his first words in daycare. He took his first steps in daycare, and I wasn't there for that. And I just wanted to be there more with him. And then I had a young daughter on the way. And I just thought to myself, you know, I did the accounting because I was good with numbers. It was a way out for the situation that I was in. And I thought, okay, it's been great to me. And I can still use a lot of what I was learning and in this entrepreneur world. 
But that's the main reason behind Wolfpack Apparel is I wanted to spend more time with my kids. I wanted to be able to pick them up from school. I wanted to be able to cook them dinner. I wanted to be able to sit at the dinner table and talk with them, hear how their day was. I wanted to bring them to their sports practices, to their ballet lessons. And Wolfpack Apparel, being self-employed, let me do that. Craig, you've come a long way. Talk about that journey. Wow. Man, I could talk for hours about this one. I know that a lot of people don't like to hear realities that happen to Indigenous people in this country. People don't like to hear about what the church did, what the government did, what the authorities did. But it did happen. It's reality. And it created this whole systemic level of oppression for Indigenous people. And it's real. It's not pretend. There's been so many instances of even racism that I faced. Like I remember me and my brother going to a powwow in the United States and they wouldn't rent us a hotel room. They, they said, oh, no, sorry, we're full. Sorry. As we're walking out, a different couple walks in and, oh, sure, we have a room for you. It's real. Like even how you're going to get a business off the ground, I had to do it through the powwow trail. Powwows happen all over North America. They're big cultural events. They can get anywhere from 1,000 people to 30,000, up to maybe even a couple hundred thousand gathering of nations. So I started taking this creativity I had and putting it into clothing. And then I would take the clothing to these cultural events and show people and say, hey, okay, would you buy this? And people say, oh, yeah, sure. So that's where Wolfpack Apparel started because there was no barriers there. You didn't need a grant. You didn't need a loan. You didn't even need a business license. You don't need a business license to go to a powwow and sell. So there's all these things that I didn't know about that I needed to get this business off the ground that weren't there on the powwow trail. It's really shifted how society in general views Indigenous people. Since 215 happened, people can't believe what happened to Indigenous people. It just blows their mind because. Their generation growing up didn't see that. It wasn't their generation that did that to us, right? It was the generations before. So the current generation of people now, like the everyday person walking in the mall, people seem to be more understanding. Now, since the pandemic, you've moved your business to online. How's that learning curve? I'd never thought of online as an opportunity because it just seemed like there was too many barriers there as well. I was like, okay, I have all this inventory, but I got nowhere to sell it. What am I going to do? I've got maybe three months worth of income able to live when COVID hit. And I thought to myself, okay, I could wait this out and I can see if COVID just passes and everything's back to normal, go on with my life. Or I try and get this brand online. Even if I just take a picture and post a picture to Facebook and say, hey, does someone want to buy this t-shirt? It couldn't hurt me. And that was safer than waiting for my money to disappear. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to jump into it. I just threw myself into Facebook marketing. And I still remember my first ad, April 14th. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the sales I was getting. Order after order just kept coming into my email. I thought, If I sell like five hoodies, I'm happy. That's good enough for my first ad. But I think I had like 250 orders in the first day. And recently, a big milestone. We hit half a million. I mean, for an independent brand, 
That's a lot of hoodies. That's a lot of t-shirts. And it's life-changing, really. Taking the brand online has changed everything. What's your plan moving forward? And Craig, do you have advice for others? I've been collaborating with more Indigenous artists in creating different things because I think there's so much amazing talent out there in Indigenous people. There's so many intelligent and motivated people that just want opportunities. That's it. That's all I wanted was opportunities. You will never know unless you try. It's cliche, but it's so true. A strong picture has been painted from First Nation communities that the future of Canada is intertwined with Indigenous business success. It is not a business model. It is a movement. It is Indigenomics. Indigenous business leader Carol Ann Hilton explains. Indigenomics originated through social media as a handle to be able to create a narrative space around the Indigenous business growth, the growth of the Indigenous economy, how Indigenous peoples were taking up space in growing our individual Indigenous economies and how that was being reflected in a future of Canada that is interwined with Indigenous business success. And it literally grew from a hashtag into a movement and being able to manage. I went to business school. I didn't go to school on how to manage a movement. And it's really quite powerful every day to ask the question, who wants to play Indigenomics, and to always having that be reflected back to me in my work of people engaging in economic reconciliation and engaging in uh, thought leadership around Indigenous partnerships and initiatives and investment into the Indigenous economy and businesses. From hair salons to clothing, food and music, and the meaningful change we are all wanting to see. Thank you, Shannon, Nyana, Curtis, Naomi, Craig, Justin, Eden, and Carol Ann for sharing your stories and truths. Thank you to all the people in our communities who nominated them for Amplify Canada. Each month, we will introduce you to an independent artist in our podcasts, our way of supporting local musicians. Eden Fine Day is a Cree singer, songwriter, and guitar player from the Sweetgrass First Nation in Saskatchewan. She has been writing and recording music for over 20 years. I was raised by a single mom. She was non-Indigenous, actually. I was raised away from my dad until I was about 14. But we came from a household that listened to music like a religion like the record player was what we did <laughs> like i didn't have a tv for a long time i would just sit by the record player and i would read all the lyrics and i would like listen to all the music i would have always felt so connected to music yeah i feel like it made an imprint on me and then when i became a songwriter it was just so natural because i knew exactly how songs are organized because i'd spent so many years just listening so we've been featuring the song white tears can you tell me the story behind it? I guess I was just trying to express my experience as an Indigenous woman living in Canada. For me, music has always been a way of expressing my emotions, letting them go, letting myself heal, helping myself heal. So it's a really simple song, you know, more just like stream of consciousness, just thinking about the history of these lands and how long we've been here and how long we have thrived here. And now 
what our situation is and how unjust that is. I just feel like there's this movement right now where we're starting to speak louder. We're starting to heal, I think, from a lot of the traumas that our parents and grandparents went through. So we're able to speak up because we're surviving a little bit better maybe than our parents or grandparents did. So for me, yeah, I was just trying to communicate that pain really and also say that this is our land and we deserve to thrive here. I noticed that I'm writing a lot about my pain again, like I'm processing my childhood trauma and I'm looking at my healing and my emotions and I'm looking at the state of the world and the state of the earth and the state of humanity and the state of Canada and I'm emoting about that. Before we play the full song, White Tears, can you read some of the lyrics? Let me just look it up here. Here we go. Our land, our skies, our kids, our lives. Black robes, pale skin, black hearts, red sin, land grab, bloodbath, hunger, warpath, white years, children, stolen, amen, highway of tears, red dress, red fears, blue sky, black earth, red strength, rebirth, bare skin, moose hide, long hair, red pride, White tears, blue skies, red blood, white lies. White culture, cul-de-sac, white tears, land back. Eden Fine Day. 
You can find her at edenfineday.bandcamp.com and on YouTube and Spotify. You have been listening to Amplify Canada, an initiative created by Patterson Media designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our communities. For more information on this program, go to pattersonmedia.com. This is a presentation of Pattison Media.